Ignition sequence start. Five, four, three, two. This is the Breaking Barriers Podcast. The conversation about changing the narrative for boys and young men of color in Western New York. Let's go. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to another edition of the Breaking Barriers podcast. My name is Daniel Robertson. I'm the program manager for the Boys and Men of Color Initiative out of Say Yes, Buffalo. Uh, today, I'm filling in for our guy, the, co- the co-host and uh, new host, original host, all-time host, great host, Dwayne Sawyer. He's off today, but I have with me Xavier Lamar, one of our phenomenal young men from the Breaking Barriers Youth Leadership Council. And our guest today is none other than Nigel Brown, my guy, my brother, uh, doing some tremendous things in the city of Buffalo for our young people and just people alike. So, uh, Nigel, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. It's good to have you on, man. Xavier, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Hello, my name is Xavier Lamar. I'm a part of the Breaking Barriers Youth Council, as Daniel just mentioned. And today I'm glad to have uh, Dr. Nigel Brown here. He called him the doctor. <laughs> He's speaking that into existence, man. And uh, one of the things we always, uh, Xavier, we nicknamed him Zabama uh, because he has aspirations of being president of the United States one day. And I think that's actually a good place to start because yesterday we had found out some very ex- well, depending on who you are and you know how you feel about politics, um, we found out some news yesterday in regards to who the running mate is going to be with uh, Mr. Biden. So, Nigel, uh, no, I'm not going to go Nigel first. I'm going to go Xavier first because oh, Xavier is all into politics. So I just want to hear from your your perspective as a young person. Uh, what are your thoughts? Listen, the idea of a first black woman vice president, I, I like it. I, I won't lie. I think it's going to be an inspiration to many young black girls and probably young men as well who is black. But I will say this. I do have slight concerns about her record as far as to criminal justice. Hopefully, I think maybe she could push Biden on some issues because I'm not really feeling Biden or her, but I have I have some optimism that's what I'm going to say. All right, I'm going to push you a little bit. I want to hear about what Uh-oh. some of these concerns may be, Xavier. <laughs> yeah, so when she was a prosecutor, she used to be a prosecutor in California. And apparently she had some tough on crime stance, which include locking up like innocent uh, people for the war on drugs. Uh, like, like, what do I call it? Like contributing to this uh, justice system that's a racist war on drugs, which... Uh, which definitely needs to end. And I didn't like the fact that she once laughed at the idea of legalizing marijuana. And it sort of hurt because you have black black people who get targeted for this. This war was started under Nixon uh, just to come at the black people. And I ain't going to lie, it hurt seeing her laugh at the idea. And you, she also has some record of, like, with housing deals, which I don't like. She worked with, well, no, she received money from Trump treasurer uh, Steve Mnuchin. And apparently when it came to prosecuting him over, like, some shady stuff he was doing with housing, she refused to prosecute him when there was evidence. So those are just my concerns I have with her. Hopefully she's evolved, maybe. I don't know. But like I said before, optimistic. All right, you heard it from the young person right there talking politics. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Nigel real quick. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this conversation because that's not why we're really here today. Um, But, Nigel, I want to get your thoughts as well. So um, I will go ahead and actually um, just defer for now. Um, I don't know enough about uh, the uh, VP pick uh, to go ahead and actually give my thoughts uh, about her. Biden, um, I'm not really a fan of Biden myself. Um, and really, you know, I, I, I have been uh, doing research on just different things that uh, Biden has taken stance on, especially when it comes to the African-American communities. Um, and that's kind of, you know, where I leave it, though. Like, I don't want to get too much into politics, especially um, because I am here, you know, on behalf of uh, Dreamers Corp as well, and we want to we, we do politics out of it. I respect that, and I'm glad we got it out the way. Um, so now that we have it out of the way, Nigel, 
You, you just mentioned Dream Corps. So tell us about Dream Corps. And also tell us a little bit about you, your background, how you came up, you know, how you got to where you are, why you do what you do, man. I know I threw a lot out there. You start where you want. All right. So um, my background, myself. So, um, you know, I grew I grew up uh, throughout the foster care system. Um, was emancipated at 15. Uh, you know, from there, you know, just, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, through different, you know, areas and, you know, impoverished neighborhoods and also communities. Um, you know, and I've learned a lot from just the uh, lack of access and also opportunity uh, that's provided, you know, for those in those communities growing up. Um, you know, I went to university at Buffalo where I got my degree in applied mathematics. I was originally going to be a neurosurgeon, uh, actually. I was a double major in chemistry and mathematics at UB at first. And then I had my daughter, my oldest, uh, Willow. Um, and from there, I kind of switched over to just apply mathematics and got into IT, hardware IT and systems. Um, and I remember my very first internship, not my very first internship, but my very first paid internship uh, with Avox Systems. Um, and I was, it was an IT internship. And I remember there was an issue uh, with purchasing uh, that a uh, uh, few customers, a uh, few workers were having on the computers. Um, and it was an error uh, from Excel. And so I remember going on Google and typing in this error that Excel was throwing. And, you know, like I met my, my newest friend, which is called stackoverflow.com. And it's like, hey, you can fix this error by writing this code in Excel. And so I'm like, okay, let's try this. And so, you know, with IT, normally, you know, hardware IT individuals, you know, they learn different types of troubleshooting where, you know, maybe you know, uninstall, reinstall, you know, upgrade a program and things like that. But when it comes to software engineers, you know, we get right down in the nitty gritty of that. So we don't really need to uninstall and reinstall. We just go ahead and fix it, right, <laughs> with a line of code. And I learned that that day, right, where I put that line of code in and I said to myself, I need to teach myself how to code. And so from that point forward, I mean, this was in 2000 and this was in 2011, that point forward, I started teaching myself how to code. So, and that was back when Miller Fillmore College was at UB. Um, it's no longer there, but, you know, it offered all kinds of online certificates. It offered all kinds of online programs. So I just started picking up all of their online coding programs as electives and just teaching myself how to code at home. Yo, so Nigel, when you talk about coding, all right, what inspired you as a uh, young black African-American male to actually want to pursue uh, coding as a, as a means to an end as a career field, as um, you know, it's not an area where we as males of color tend to, you know, migrate to. So, you know, what kind of pushed you in that direction? I know Xavier wanted to jump in and ask some questions around this too. So honestly, you know, I've always been the kind of person that has always looked for power. And that might be, but the reason why is because, you know, growing up through the adversities and things that, you know, I've grown up through, you know, as a kid, I didn't have power, you know, like I was subjected to, you know, abuse, sexual, physical, you know, bouncing through 30 plus foster homes, like just all over, you know, and so I was exposed and susceptible to all kinds of, you know, um, uh, uh, Torment is is the word that I describe it. And because of that, you know, I lacked power, you know. And so growing up, you know, there were other individuals around me, you know, who were going through the same things that I was going through, but they didn't know how to find their power, you know, and they didn't have anyone to go ahead and actually say, hey, this is how you can create ways out of no way, you know. And so the day that, you know, I solved that problem with, with a single, you know, line of code, on that computer and there was no longer a need for the IT folks to uninstall and reinstall anymore and fight with this Excel program to say, man, like it's just not working. That said, that spoke immensely to me. And I said, yeah, this is it. <laughs> I need to learn this right now, you know? And from then, you know, that passion, you know, that passion of creativity and innovation, 
that I got to grow, you know, along along that journey of learning how to code, becoming an engineer, understanding how to put people first and use technology to go ahead and actually solve, you know, life's problems where if we can go ahead and solve, you know, two a, 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 a two minute problem with technology, you know, that gives human beings two minutes more of time to provide elsewhere. And so if you only focus on that two minutes worth of tasks that we want to go ahead and solve for, like those begin to build up to where people begin to use their time, you know, in, in, in a lot more effectively. Right. And so that's just really everything that I get and why the passion is there because I have a lot, there's a lot of power in technical innovation. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we can build whatever we want. We see it with, you know, autonomous cars. We see it with bikes. We see it with, you know, just you name it. We can sit behind the code and say, Hey, how can we allow people to stop doing this manual task and apply that time to, another manual task that may actually need to stay manual, but now they can apply a little more time to it because we've solved for this and automated it a bit. And, and, and I think that's just my passion in it all. All right. So, uh, we know you got a couple of things in the works in regards to, uh, some coding programs that you're putting together for young people. Um, which should talk a little, a little bit about that. And also, you know, how do you break down what coding actually is for a young person to make it attractive? Okay. So the first, you know, I'll start with the the second question first. So I believe that anyone can learn how to code. That will always be my belief. And the reason why I believe that is because there are a plethora of coding languages that can align to the mind. Okay. And all it takes is understanding, okay, who's in front of you and meeting people where they are, okay? Maybe it's JavaScript to build a website. Maybe it's Kotlin to build an Android application. Maybe it's Swift to build an iOS application. Maybe it's Python because you just like data and you just like number crunching. But there's a programming language that can be taught to anyone. That is my true belief. And once someone learns that first programming language, they will now have the skills to go ahead and work with other programming languages. And all you need is that, and, and that's the foot in into coding, figuring out which language is simple enough to go ahead and adhere to the thought process of the individual. Okay, and once you find that, well, you've now provided them the skills needed to go ahead and transfer that knowledge to any other programming language out there. Okay? So that's the way in which, you know, I I focus on, you know, uh, exposing anyone to coding. You know, I, I talk with them. You know, I get to understand, like, how does your mind really work? Right? And that allows me to understand which programming language itself is actually one that can go ahead and really expose you to this world of how to make a computer do what you want it to do. Okay. Now, as far as, you know, Dreamers Corp, you know, so we, you know, are on a mission to close the education and economic opportunity gap in technology for black and brown communities. Now, the reason why we focus solely on mobile development and building the next generation of black and brown and minority mobile developers is because mobile development is the fastest growing um, career in software development. Okay. And projected to go ahead and grow by 30%, right, by 2025. That's huge. Now, with that, there's, there's about 1% of black and brown individuals is mobile developers. Wow. Okay. So... Now, if we think about the, you know, at Dreamers Club, we think about the whys, right? Like why, okay, why is this, right? Is it, you know, because of access? Is it because of this? You know, and what we found is that, you know, it starts at the lack of funding in our school districts, 
Okay, suburban school districts get twenty three billion more in funding than city school district across the globe. Okay, and so when we think of that, right, only twenty seven percent of city school districts have computer science across the U.S. Right, and so if we trickle down from the the lack of funding to that trickles down to lack of teacher resources. That trickles down to lack of programs. And that's how we get this lack of access. Okay. And so we focus on saying, well, if we can get behind that, how do we go ahead and say, well, we don't want school districts to go ahead and, you know, hire computer science teachers and things like that, because it may be of a huge burden. And so what we've done is we've created programs for example, we have our Dreamers Club after school program, which can be hosted at any host site. Um, and the Dreamers Club after school program is a 43 week coding program that will actually teach kids grades nine through 12 how to build Android applications and also walk and also certify them as Android developers through the Google Mobile Developer Associate certification at the end of the school year. Okay, and then we also have our coding summer camp, which took place last year due to COVID. Of course, this year um, we could not run that. But last year in the city of Buffalo, in partnership with Upward Bound at Madai, we hosted our summer coding summer camp. Um, we had about uh, 10, 10 kids, uh, about grades, same nine through 12, uh, who sat and they learned for six weeks during the summer how to ideate an idea. And it wasn't about... And this, Can you break that down for our listeners? Yeah. And so this goes back to your question of how do you get people and kids excited to code, right? So during the summer, I got to sit and say, hey, what do you like? Okay. What do you like? Some kids like music. Some kids like basketball. Some kids like art. Some kids just hated math and wanted an easier way to do it, right? And some kids just really liked the idea of increasing your self-esteem, okay? And so from that... Okay, I sat and I created a lesson plan that all of those kids could build exactly what they like and learn the exact same skills. And so because of that, the output of that were kids who created apps that help people with your self-esteem, that they were able to go ahead and present um, and demo at the demo day for Upward Bound at Madai. Um, one uh, young individual, she created an equation calculator where you can go ahead and solve for X. On your phone. I needed that a couple years ago. <laughs> right? like, and so this is what happens when you meet kids where they are. Okay. And this goes, you know, also to the point of, I know you spoke kind of about my thoughts on school reopenings. You know, schools themselves are far behind. Those are my thoughts. They're far behind because the school system is the one system that has not changed to go ahead and keep up with the demand of our industries. Okay, and so I'm, you know, 29 years old and I'm still hearing about regents exams. Okay, I'm still hearing about AP US history exams. Okay, things that do not align with the current state of our industry and how our kids need to go ahead and tap into the workforce right now. Okay, and so for me, being able to go ahead and create, you know, this new era of learning in our city schools where they do utilize tech and utilize new means of distributing learning and distributing kind of uh, um, uh, academic pathways that better aligns our kids with the industry and the community that they're actually in, you know? And so those are really like my thoughts about school reopening um, you know, and, and, and where I think it needs to go. I think that the focus needs to be on, you know, the school district finding ways to deliver new academic pathways through technology versus sticking to the current standard. You know, and I think that's the real innovation. When we talk about technology and we talk about providing technology to kids and people, no one's actually talking about innovating the current processes they have to realign with technology. They're trying to place technology into something that's outdated, you know? And so I'll pass, kind of pass that back to you because I know I've said, 
you know, a mouthful on, you know, just <laughs> my thoughts. I'm actually, uh, I want to make sure I bring Xavier into the conversation. So, Xavier, I know you, uh, there were some things that you wanted to ask Nigel around uh, coding. So, I wanted mm-hmm. to give you an opportunity to do that. And then, uh, since Nigel kind of took us down the path of uh, the school reopenings, I also want to get your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on that as well. So, well, so first I'll start with coding. So, like, what are genuinely, like, what's your experience with kids' reaction to coding? Like, how do they, like, First, how is their reaction? Is, and is there like many kids that are really into coding, like what dreamers have been doing? That's a good question. So what I've found is that no one's really into coding. Okay. Because they don't know about it. Because they're not really, yeah. They, they, oh, well, yeah. they don't know about it at all. <laughs> right. And because they don't know about it, they actually don't know how easy it is for the same games and TikToks and stuff that they mm-hmm. play on their phones. They actually can go ahead and build themselves. Right. And so that prime example of, you know, our summer camp, you know, last last summer, you know, a lot of the a lot of the the notes and 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 kind of um, testimonies from the kids that took place that took part in the summer camp last year. That was really there when he's like, I didn't I didn't think I would like this. <laughs> a lot of them said, I did not think I would like this, this. But in the end, this was really great. Because I actually got to do something I wanted to do. You know, like I didn't have to come in this and, you know, sit on a computer all day. You know, and I'm pretty lively. I'm a pretty lively person. And also anyone who That's teaches, an understatement. Anyone who anyone who would teach, you know, um, it, you know, the coding club or even, you know, the summer camp, they would have to be that as well, right? Where when, you know, my kids were late, they had to dance. Like they had to pick a song and they had to go ahead and bust a move through the door because they were late, right? Like those are things that, you know, are important to engagement. So I think that is really how, you know, to answer your question, you know, I don't I don't think kids know they like coding. I think that what they like is what I had liked when I realized the power I had with coding because I didn't know about it either. And once they do it and they realize that, wow, I didn't actually realize I could build this. What else can I build? That's, I think, how we begin to go ahead and create that excitement for coding. And it all starts with access of programs and exposure and how you expose it. All right, thank you. So... Very interesting. All right. So now I kind of want to change topics now on to schools reopening. Mm-hmm. Of course, last year, schools had to do a complete shutdown. We all had to go to virtual. Earlier this year. Well, my bad, earlier this year. <laughs> School kid mindset. But anyway, uh, I just wanted your thoughts on it. Me, personally, I'm 50-50, but I want to get your views on schools reopening. Is it safe for kids? So... All right. So in in regards to school being safe to open for kids, my thoughts on it are now coming as a parent. I'm a father of three daughters. Okay. And now one of my daughters, she is going to um, kindergarten. Okay. And then I have another daughter going to um, third grade. Okay. Now, school reopening, when it comes to simply safety, you ask me that, I would go ahead and say no. And the reason why I would say no is because if you have to wear a mask all day at school, okay, and then you have to worry about getting in trouble for taking your mask off as a kid. Okay. And then you have, then I, as a parent, have to worry about getting a call from you that my kid took their mask off because they had to wear it all day at school. School is not safe to go ahead and open up. Okay. That, quite frankly, I feel can't be argued. It can't be argued by someone at the district level or any, it can't be argued that it, you can tell me it's safe to send my kid back to school. If I have to worry about getting a call that they're in trouble for taking their mask off. (laughs) Okay. And so that is how I feel about school reopening. The other thing I feel about school reopening is that my, so my middle child, Lila. Okay. She's a little more like me. 
she's antsy. (laughs) (laughs) She loves engaging and talking and speaking. And she is not, if, if I had to go back to school as, as a kid and wear a mask, I probably would be suspended on day three and, and told that I couldn't come back to school. I surprised, I'd be surprised if you make it through day one. I would too. <laughs> I would be surprised if I made it through day one. Okay. And so now that I'm suspended because I took my mask off and I kept talking. Okay. You still actually have to educate me anyway at home. So you actually could have done that from the start. <laughs> and we could have actually avoided. Okay. This disciplinary action to make me seem as a kid that I'm the one in the wrong when as an adult, you knew better anyway to send me to school when it wasn't safe. Okay. Because you had me go to school and now I feel like I'm in, I'm in jail and I don't even, I mean, as a kid, I don't even know what jail is, but I feel something is wrong here. I can't say hi to my friends. I can't go right. Like something's wrong. And when you have that, that means you shouldn't be doing it. Those are my thoughts about school reopening as a father of three. I'm with you. Uh, Xavier, if you don't mind me jumping in here as a parent of a seven year old who is uh, ready to go into second grade. um, I've kind of already made my decision that she will not be going back to school. Um, I'm more in favor of school reopening as virtual and strictly virtual. Uh, until we can kind of get through this, uh, until we can kind of flush through some some more things that have been identified in some of the plans that I've seen. Um, you got a couple of school districts that have already opened up in in some places like Atlanta, and they had to shut the schools down because there were so many cases. So, um, I don't think uh, you know from a standpoint of when you when you think about safety and just just being smart about this, that this is really the time to reopen schools. Um, with the hybrid type model where, you know, kids go for a couple of days, you know, one week, then they go for a couple of days next week. To me, that just doesn't make sense. Um, you got parents that are, have a number of concerns. I've heard a lot of them. You have teachers that have a lot of concerns. You know, there's teachers that don't, they don't want to go back. Parents don't want their kids to go back. So I think I honestly, at this point, the smartest thing to, to the smartest approach would be to just go virtual. I mean, You've had a couple months to kind of figure out, you know, get the kinks out of the virtual stuff. You knew this was going to be coming. I and I'll, I'll leave it there as a parent. It, it, uh, it, you're hundred. You're hundred percent right, Daniel. And I mean, it just goes to show, you know, again, this idea of lack of understanding how to truly apply technology to outdated processes. Okay, because if you say that. We're going to do a hybrid model of school, okay? And But if you don't want to bring your kid to school at all, we'll have to support that. You've now fragmented teachers and everything else now because you got five students in a class who they don't come. They have to get virtual resources. So what are you going to do? You know, when my daughter, you know, when, when, when we went remote and virtual, one of my kids, all they got was a PDF file every Monday. That's it. I mean, I didn't hear from their teacher for the rest of the school year, except the PDF file. That's unacceptable. But that's what you get when you're not actually fully prepared to understand how to properly integrate technology into old processes. And most of the districts and most schools they are not ready to properly integrate technology into old processes unless they also innovate and update their processes as well. And that's the, the problem is the fragmentation that I see that's going to happen. You know, you have half the class, they never come. It was a report that came out in, in Florida that 23% of the kids um, didn't even go ahead and ever log on when they went virtual, when all schools had to shut down. (laughs) And then we get into the difference of age group of kids, right? For example, I would argue that if you are, you know, grades nine through 12, right? There's no reason for you to be in school. There really isn't. Okay. You can go ahead and properly get taught virtually. Right. I mean, I argue that it would be a lot better. Most kids don't want to go to school in the first place when they're that old, especially in our communities. 
One, because either A, can't get there, or two, busy with their friends. So now wait. Go ahead and get them, give them the opportunity of still getting their diplomas and everything else and giving them the access to be taught at home. But they can go ahead and log in and I argue maybe it also increased graduation rates. Access. Right? Virtual education provides access. It does. And I think that's, again, where I'll continue to zero around. You have them talking about technology, but they're not truly understanding that with technology does indeed come innovation of processes and current systems. You cannot have it one way. It will topple. So Nigel, I definitely agree with you, but you know, the other side of this, you know, the the pushback that, you know, a lot of folk give in regards to the technology and remote learning, virtual learning is that uh, students don't all, a lot of students don't always have access to proper Wi-Fi computers, tablets, uh, you know, smart devices that they would actually need. So, you know, how do I, how do, what do we do to solve that? But, 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 but then I'd say that I, I've seen the city school district's budget. They have Wi-Fi dongles and computers. So no one can make an argument to me about access in the city school district. They have a $900 million budget. Okay. Proposed budget. And it will probably get approved. There's no way every kid in the city school district cannot have access to a Wi-Fi dongle and a computer, especially since Spectrum hotspots are all over the city popping up. So the excuse is unexcusable, right? And again, it has to do with lack of, and to me, again, as a parent, it has to do with politics and lack of people who are willing to move with their feet versus those who need to go ahead and move through politics. Those are very different people. And we will always see those individuals having very different outcomes for the betterment of our communities and also our kids. All right, man. We uh, I'm loving this robust conversation that we're having today, man. We we went from politics to <laughs> talking about Dreamers Corp to talking about schools reopening. Um, I actually want to hear a little bit more about Nigel Brown, the, the man, the, the, how we got to this point, right? So earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, briefly, and you, you threw it in there real quick where people probably didn't even catch it, but you talked about being, you know, in and out of foster homes. And if I have the number correct, which I don't think I do, I know I'm gonna get it wrong, but it was above thirty different yeah. foster homes mm-hmm. that you that you've been in and out of, you know, throughout over the course of your time in foster care. So, you know, when I hear that, and when I look at you and I hear about all the things that you're doing now, the f- couple things come to mind. You know, overcoming adversity, and you know, like how did you make it through all that? Because originally you're from Rochester, right? No, I was actually born here in Buffalo. Born in Buffalo, but lived in... I was born in Buffalo and then put in a system at one and bounced around through upstate, all upstate, Niagara Falls, Syracuse, you name it. And then, you know, got to Rochester at about the age of nine. Gotcha, okay. So, so how did I overcome that adversity? (laughs) Um, You know, honestly, it was trial and error. I didn't have any any parent or, you know, at, at that age, I didn't have anyone sitting to go ahead and help me through the generational traumas that my my biological parents passed down to me, to the traumas that I had to go ahead and now endure. Like I didn't have anyone to go ahead and say, hey, you know, you need help. <laughs> right? like, like, seriously, like you need help, right? Like when you you know, are that young and you go through, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse as a child. And, you know, it's not really a statement of how did you overcome that, right? It's a statement of how did you bury that long enough to actually go ahead and be, um, you know, uh, productive, right? Like, because you don't overcome it at all. That's why generational traumas are here in the first place. It's a lot we don't overcome, right? Like we're either strong enough to bury it long enough to be productive and become adults. And every now and again, we may tackle one trauma, but there's still others, right? Right. But that's actually it. And so to answer your question, 
I was blessed to be strong enough to go ahead and bury it enough to where I could be productive, but also I was blessed to have consequences that allowed me a second chance at getting it right. I made a lot of mistakes because of the fact that I buried my traumas. Okay. And those manifested through anger, rage, fighting, respect, the streets, you name it. That is how they manifested, you know, through myself, growing up as a kid, all the way to a teen, you know, and myself and, you know, the one person I always had that honestly, you know, is probably the reason I'm here today is my older brother. My older brother, you know, grew up in foster care as well, you know, but we were very different, you know. Um, he was the, he was the, 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 he was the angel on this shoulder saying, look, bro, we're going to keep getting in this trouble, but I need you. <laughs> like, I need you to do this, though, after we do this. Like, sir, I need you to do this. So it didn't matter what type of mess we got ourselves into, okay? He was the one sitting here, go to school. I was the one in school that was always expelled, always in AP classes, always getting A's. That was me. And he was the one behind me like, yo, look, like, you need to graduate. <laughs> okay? And me and my older brother did not get reunited until I was nine when I moved to Rochester. Okay. And it was like we, you know, it was it was something that, you know, I think God really said, look, like, you need something. Because if you don't, you know, I don't, I don't think I have anything else for you. Right? Like, seriously. You know, when I first went to college, like, my, my brother, he paid those fees. <laughs> and my brother, he had no money. Okay? Like, we all had our fair share of, you know, uh, illegal involvement growing up. We all had. And, but he made sure I got to college. I like how you said illegal involvement. That's that's like entrapment, dude. That's like a co <laughs> right? Like, gotta make sure the words are pretty. Okay? You know? And I got to college, but because of him making sure that no matter what, whatever was going on, you know, like I told you before, and I think I mentioned you, no matter what happened to me, I knew I was smart. Yeah, you're brilliant, dude. I knew mm -hmm. I was like, I mean, anyone could tell you, like, no, I'm I, Nigel. They'll say that Nigel's brilliant. Okay, like I could look at something and learn it tomorrow. Like that's me. Photographic. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter how difficult mm -hmm. it is. Okay, I learn things that I don't want to learn just so I can go ahead and have a conversation with someone who thinks they know it all. That's me, right? And my brother knew that, which is why he made sure that I had to get to college and I had to overcome. All of the trials and tribulations that he got to sit back and watch me go through. <laughs> okay, as as you say, overcoming this life of foster care, you know, and traumas. <laughs> you are brilliant. Let me ask you this though. Do you feel do you sometimes feel like that's a gift and a curse? It is. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people are not brilliant. Honestly. And I accidentally talk to people that way. I do. I will be the first to admit it. Okay. If you say something to me, okay, depending on the kind of mood that I'm in, it may come off very condescending. Like you may get the, you may get answered, but the way that I answer, there's probably a gray line in there that you caught that says, Jesus Christ, I, f I feel pretty silly. And it's not purposeful. I don't do it on purpose. But because certain things come to me as a uh, duh, why are you even asking me this? Mm -hmm. Right? Like you should be competent enough to know this as well. Okay. Because again, I'm a tech person too. And the last thing tech people like to do is spend time for remedial tasks. We spend time creating automated systems and tasks all the time because we don't have time for remedial tasks. And that includes remedial questions. And they, all of the above, seriously. 
Like, no joke. Like, like you think I'm I'm playing. Let me, you go talk to a tech person, okay, who isn't an extrovert, okay? <laughs> because most of them are not, all right? And they will sit and look at you like, stop talking to me. <laughs> like, please stop talking to me. <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, you will not get extroverted software engineers. Wow. <laughs> okay? There's, I know, like, you say I'm brilliant. I know some brilliant software engineers. I can't talk to them. I can't. Me asking a simple question, okay, I get the same gray line from them like, duh, like, why are you asking me that? Seriously, no joke. Like, same thing I get back from other, some, so I, I know some brilliant AI augment reality software engineers who all they do is spend time building ai systems for machine learning and now those brilliant but you can't have a conversation about ice cream to them okay because that ice cream will probably become you know the the milk before it's made and then the machine and then everything else besides the ice cream seriously so it's actually not just me like people who are really intelligent we're actually also sometimes very dumb in very simple things <laughs> see that's why i'm not a tech person that's why i stick to i stick to young people man so xavier i want to ask you a question so uh you've, you've had the chance to kind of sit here and you know talk to nigel hear parts and hear mm -hmm. some of nigel's story um you know what goes through your mind when you hear you know a young person that's been in and out of foster care mm -hmm. You know, used to mix it up a lot in school. I could imagine just because he is so smart and kind of sarcastic at times, he mixed it up a lot <laughs> on the verbal end with teachers. Mm -hmm. Like when you hear that, and then when you when we uh, when we talk about that narrative that surrounds boys and men of color, uh, you know, what's the projected path? What's the assumed project projected path of an individual like we're talking to today? Uh, destruction. If we're being honest, like like that's how the story usually ends. And I remember you showed us that video one time at Breaking Barriers meeting uh, about that black guy who everyone assumed probably was just a criminal or something, but he ended up being a judge in a courtroom. So it's all about changing that narrative, you know? I know it may seem like we're heading on a path to destruction, but every day we try to like move that move that pendulum into the opposite direction, and that's what we got to do. Mm -hmm. So... Nigel, we're gonna run you through the gauntlet in a little oh, while. And you got you have some experience <laughs> with the gauntlet. Another gauntlet. Um, but before I run you through the gauntlet, I wanna give uh Xavier a chance to kind of chime in with some last words. I'll let you have the final, final word <laughs> or words. That's probably be another 15 minutes when we put you <laughs> on here. But, um, no, I talk a lot. I do. Yeah, I know. We could just let you just... You could probably do a podcast by yourself. Listen, I, I'll talk, okay? We'll talk about relationships. We'll talk about polygamy. I mean, we'll go across the board, yeah. all right? <laughs> Xavier, anything that's just on your mind? Anything you want to throw out there? Any other questions that you want to ask Nigel while we got him here? Mm. All right, maybe we get in a little bit... Maybe this is a little political question, but I just want I just want you, just your opinions on the protest because that is a big issue that's still happening out in this country. I just want your opinion on that. On which protest? Shoot, all talk, of them. If you want to talk about just the civil unrest that's going on in this country right now, so um, you know, first and foremost, I think that um, I'm happy that protests are still going on. Mm -hmm. Um. We've seen time and time again that um, the disenfranchisement of black and brown people and also the LGBT community as well. We can't mm -hmm. forget them. We can't forget all the communities who are not the majority. Okay, let's mm -hmm. put it like that. Um, and that we've seen time and time again how um, anyone who is not the majority has been publicly lynched, okay, in our new form of lynching through police brutality um, and also um, uh, criticized in, in, you know, the individuals doing the lynching, victimized, 
right? Like we've continued to see that. But what's different this time is that, you know, during civil rights movement, it was not a one day protest. It was not a one month protest. You know, it was a continued protest and a continued statement of um, a freedom and rights to liberty, right? And so we're now having those continued protests of our freedoms and rights to liberty and rights to be treated equally in this century, in this day and age. And that's what I'm excited about. Mm. We can't allow people to think that a protest is one and done because it's not one and done until the problem is actually solved. And until the problem is solved, our faces and our voices need to continuously be heard. Even when someone thinks that we're done, we must always be working in the background to move back to the foreground to show them that we're not because our demands have not been met and change has not been created. And so that is my thought on protests. 100% agree with you that one. I can't say nothing else to that. So you're completely right. So I'm going to pass off to dinner now with his hot shot questions. Oh yeah, we uh, got 20 questions with Nigel. 20. Uh-uh. At least twenty. Come on, we might 20? cut you a break. Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't do a full twenty, but we're gonna do a Oof. good number. Oof. A good number. Twenty. Before we get there, though, uh, Xavier, I'm gonna push you a little bit. I want you to give uh, Nigel some words of wisdom and, and encouragement before we get off. I like that. All right, wisdom. So what I'm gonna say is that there's a lot of disagreement that goes around in this country. There's a lot of words that may be said sometimes, but the important thing to do in times like these, we got to learn to respect other people's opinions, not try to be so hostile. I feel like in this day and age, like everyone's so hostile towards each other, like can never have like a, just a real pure, genuine conversation. Like, like let's not be hostile towards each other. Let's actually hear one like hear each other out we could be 100% wrong in this direction or we could be 100% right but let's just respect each other because at the end of the day we are still human beings we're still children of God you have to you have to just take care of one another those words are definitely received Mm -hmm. you are 100% right 100% right Mm -hmm. speak on young man Mm -hmm. I love it all right, Nigel, you might be familiar with some of these, but we're going to run you through, man. Oh, so man. it's not fair because you had the chance to actually be on one of the Zoom calls with the young man, and we kind of asked you some of these. So, you know, you're going to be a little more versed with some of these than some other folk, uh, other guests that we've had on the podcast. But I'm going to jump around. I'm going to mix up the order so you don't even know what order they're coming in. Uh, if no you ha- order? No, no order. So if you had to pick an actor to betray you in a movie, like a watch your life story, who would it be? I mean, I still I I'll still say Will Smith. <laughs> Versatile to go ahead and, and, and play every version of me. You know, and there's a lot of versions of me. Yeah, you like a split personality. <laughs> there's a lot of versions of me if you play my life. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna keep it going. Uh LeBron Jordan or Kobe. Uh, I'm gonna have to go ahead and say Jordan. I think that's Did fair. you switch it up? <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. Nope. On the Zoom call, nope. you said nope. Kobe. No, nope. I didn't. <laughs> yes, nope. you did. Nope, I said Jordan, and everyone got mad. Nigel, I, I have said, the recording. You got the recording. I said, I said Kobe. You said Kobe. I mean, I might have been under a lot of pressure. You know what? See? Oh, I wow. Mean, you know, I didn't know I didn't. Get, I had to just shout out an answer the last time either. You know, so I didn't know that's what the gauntlet meant. Oh man! All right. Uh, da, 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 da. What's your favorite restaurant in Buffalo? Oh man, I got that again. I can't even remember what I said last time, but it's all right. I think I chose a pizza spot. Actually, first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know what? 
Uh, I, can I skip that one? Can no, man. Back? You think it's too long. Can I come back to that one? <laughs> I, w- eat a, I eat a lot of food. Best man. wings in Buffalo. Volkers still. Oh my still gosh. say Volkers. I cannot listen, believe you. Listen. Volkers on Amherst. I don't even think they're still open. I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway. <laughs> dead chicken wings. <laughs> okay. Hands down. Best chicken wings that I've ever had. The chicken wings and nachos. Man, I don't know if we can be friends after this. saying. <laughs> They need to open back up. Best pizza spot in Buffalo. Franco's. Okay. You are smart. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Thank you. Uh, okay. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> favorite sports team, Nigel? <laughs> Giants. Nigel. Really? <laughs> Dude. You're going to lose some support after this. <laughs> favorite city to visit? Pittsburgh. Oh, man. You just. Why Pittsburgh? <laughs> Oh, don't even get me started about Pittsburgh. Just know Pittsburgh is my favorite place to visit. Just it give is. me one sentence on why. So, <laughs> all right. So, so one, the, 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 the art and culture and architecture of Pittsburgh is, I say, one of the most diverse places I've been able to go ahead and actually experience that. And I feel to the point where I feel Pittsburgh is a hidden gem city. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, honestly, people say that about Buffalo. Like I'm, I'm in Buffalo, so <laughs> it ain't you know, like, like love, love the city, you know. But I've been here, you know. But Pittsburgh is a hidden gem. Not only do you not hear about it, I mean, you hear about the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. and you hear about sports, but I've got to actually experience Pittsburgh for its art, its black art, most mm-hmm. importantly. Okay, it's it's spoken word shops. It like, I mean, yeah, like Pittsburgh is is indeed uh, a place to go, and really just there's a lot of culture in Pittsburgh. All and right, it's centralized. Tough one. Ooh. Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. No, I'm taking Martin out of this one. Will Smith, Denzel Washington, or Samuel L. Jackson. I'm gonna still say Will Smith. It's interesting because I thought you said Sam Jack during our conversation, but I'm about to go back and check the tape. Oh man, Nigel. <laughs> what? No, nah, actually, you know what? See, this I only I did say Samuel. You wanna know, know why I said him? I said Samuel Jackson because I enjoy how raunchy and just how <laughs> this man is. How unapologetic this yep. man is in real life and also his acting. Okay? Like he is the same person out of Janko in real life. <laughs> I just want you to know you are worse than the guys who make their predictions in like the beginning of the basketball season and then they got to change them. go change that's them. Okay. Like that's just horrible. This ain't man. for money. Um, <laughs> I feel bad for them. They shouldn't be gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Music artist or artists that you have in heavy rotation right now. Uh, still Mozzie, Malay, and um, and and uh, YFN Lucci. Yeah, all that was foreign to me until you said Gucci. You I, I didn't say folks? Gucci. I said YFN Lucci. Oh, Lucci, see, see. <laughs> well, all that's foreign to me. How about you, Xavier? Yeah, I know some. No, okay, no, no. I must really be getting old. Okay, uh, they're old. They're not new. They're old. They're old artists, actually. Oh, that's probably. So you just got to listen well, to I'm, non-mainstream music. I'm not old. I'm just not in the know. I'll put it like that. All right. <laughs> um, person you admire the most in your industry. I know you a techie. I'm not a tech person. You probably were one of those people I would have teased in high school. Like, No, you wouldn't have. Geek I was squad. actually extremely popular through high school and everything else. Trust and believe that. Okay. You ain't got to flex on me. I, man. Was, Dang, all right. I was just, you know, always. I, I mean. Okay, can we get I'm back sorry. to the question? I'm sorry, I really got caught up on this popularity piece. Uh, uh, let's see. So, I would say that. Um, what was I say? Ask me that question one more time. Person you admire the most in your industry. Hmm. You know what my follow-up question to that is going to be. I would say I admire. That's so tough. I know last time I answered this, but I still, I still, I, I will still say um, Robert Smith. Okay, I'm about to throw a monkey wrench in the game. No, don't do mm-hmm. that. This one I didn't ask you before. Don't do that. 
Microsoft or Apple? Oh, come <laughs> on. Of course, Microsoft. Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen. Of course. What? Of course, Microsoft. Everybody, I just want you guys all to know that everyone that is sitting in this room with me right now just looked at him like he has lost his mind. <laughs> That's exactly the problem. Okay, I want. I'm down with the non-code. <laughs> Who's the best coder in Western New York? To me. <laughs> He's not shy at all, ladies and gentlemen. Not shy at all. Uh, tell us the best advice you've ever received, and who it came from. The best advice that I ever received was to dream my biggest dream. For my strides of success will be limitless. Break that down for folk. So, to dream my biggest dream, okay, for my strides of success will be limitless. Meaning, if you dream your biggest dream, okay, it does, ma- it does not matter if you fall short slightly. Because every small accomplishment... Well, always go ahead and continue to build up to that bigger dream. But if your dream is small and it's easily, you can easily accomplish it, okay, then you can quickly become stagnant, okay? Dreaming your biggest dream allows you to constantly compete with yourself, allows you to constantly get better, more and more. And you want to know who gave me that advice? Yes, sir. 17-year-old Nigel. I made that quote up when I graduated from high school and it's still in the yearbook. That's deep, dude. (laughs) I would love to actually see that. That's pretty deep. Um... Person who had the biggest influence on you growing up? Uh, you know, I say my older brother. Honestly, actually, I would say, I would say so. Actually, I take so my older brother, of course, huge influence. But if we talk about just also, I would, I would say, um, there was her name is Annette Knight, and she was, uh, she was a foster parent of mine, and. Um, she was there through just so many, um, changes throughout my life. You know, she was there. I think we got introduced when I was 15. That was around the same time. Um, shortly after that, I got emancipated actually too. Um, but she helped me take Monroe County to court. Monroe County tried to place me into a home for kids who were not fit for society. And she sat and told me, she said, fight. I came home once, she said, fight. She said, if you want to fight, I got you. I'm right here. And we fought. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reason this was so interesting is because I got adopted when I was 11. Okay, this is the, the twist in this. I was adopted when I was 11 and then put back in the system at 12. Okay. And so now this fight was also partially controlled by my adoptive parent. Because, of course, being my adoptive parent, there was, you know, I was my guardian. So between the adoptive parent not wanting me back and being in favor of placing me into this new home as well, Okay, so now this 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 woman, she stood up behind me to fight against that person and Monroe County. Okay, and in the end, I won that case. She became um, joint guardian over me. Actually, the residing judge, presiding judge, had granted her um, joint guardianship over me, and then shortly after. Um, they took her like her foster care license away. So she could no longer be a foster parent. Wow. Okay. And so now, you know, she, you know, she, she didn't put me out of her house or anything because at this point she had partial guardianship. So I could say, right. And she made sure I did, but at a certain point too, I eventually left, you know, her home. I was about 16 and I got, that was around the time that, you know, I got put on social services. I got, you know, moved through uh, into my own apartment, um, you know, and ended up being deemed an adult uh, in Rochester. And so I lived in my apartment and my school bust me out from the city of Rochester. My first apartment was off Lyle Avenue, right by Jefferson High School, which I actually went to Jefferson High School for um, uh 
fourth, fifth, I mean, uh, fifth and sixth grade. Um, and, oh, shoot, and seventh and eighth. Yeah, actually, yeah, I was there through all middle school. But anyway, um, got my first apartment, um, got my first car, and... Yeah, like I mean, I was I was full fledged adult at sixteen, like walking in school when I wanted to. You know, she was still. I would go ahead call her, like, hey, you know. But till this day, that's my grandmother. You know, till this day, respect that. That's my grandmother. I'm, I always make sure I get to Rochester to check on her, make sure she's safe, make sure she's okay. You know, because without her courage, you know, my life could have took taken a very different turn. You know, when kids get put in, you know, those alternative living arrangements, okay, like that's no different than our, you know, school to prison pipeline. It really isn't. Once you're there, you know, it's who knows what happens after that. Seriously. You know, and so that was a, a, a very, you know, instrumental point in my life with that individual. I'm glad you had her, man. It was blessed to have her. Uh, two last questions, and I'll let you go off the hot seat. All right. Uh, what's your greatest fear? My greatest fear is failure. Okay. And, you know, I'm always thinking about Kobe because I'm a huge Kobe fan, and I'm a girl dad. I know you're a girl dad, too. What is your – I'm reframing this question now and uh, remembrance of Kobe – what are your favorite girl dad moments, activities? Because I know you got three daughters, so you might have a couple of them. Yeah, so my favorite. So my favorite girl dad moments. Man, I got a lot of them. So Just give me three because you right. only got three daughters. All right, so. And Jamil already gave me the cue like three times to wrap it up. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, all right, here we go, here we go. All right, so. I'll start I'll start oldest down. So with my oldest, Willow, uh, my favorite girl dad moment is just our karaoke moments. Like we karaoke Disney all the time, especially zombies. That's our number one hit. I'm Zed, you know, she, you know, and we do our thing. Like that's it. I always count on her to be with all the smoke. You know, <laughs> seriously. Music? Oh yeah, game time. Uh Lila. Honestly, my favorite girl dad moment with Lila is just really how much she cares. Like, Lila is my caring daughter. She's like, Daddy, you want some toast this morning? You want peanut butter on it? Hey, Daddy, did you need some water? Like, she's that. That is Lila. And we get to just sit, and I taught her how to play video games. So she plays Mortal Kombat now. She's five, right? Great, like, great game for a five-year-old. Like, yeah, like, so, you know, she plays Mortal Kombat. <laughs> she plays Crash Bandicoot. She plays, you know, like, my girl dad moments, right? Like, I got a son. So we go. And then, lastly, with Ivy. Ivy is every last part of me. Mentally. Oh, Lord. Emotionally. <laughs> okay. Everything. You know, so, so that is, means we got a female Nigel out yes. here now? <laughs> Ivy is it. I was waiting to have a child that would be me. And I got one in Ivy. And so anything you expect me to do, I have a girl moment, a girl dad moment with Ivy doing it. Okay? Seriously. Whether it's her telling her sisters, leave me alone because I'm going to tell daddy. Or her looking at mommy and saying, hey, mommy, you look cute. Can I get some? Or her looking at daddy and saying, I'm sorry, daddy. I won't do that again. But daddy, can I go do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, Ivy went to, we went to the pool. I took them to the pool. They weren't supposed to get in. Okay. And so Ivy, she kept looking back at me, looking at the pool, (laughs) looking back at me, looking in the pool. She looked that back at me one more time and I wasn't looking and I turned around and she scooted herself all her clothes Straight. onto into the wall. Straight set up. Mm-mm-mm. That's my girl that that's Ivy. Yeah. That's yeah, I'm not surprised. So then I throw them all in the water. Cause I felt bad. <laughs> I did. I like I'm like, dang, Ivy got in the water. So all right, girls, I'm just we just gonna do this. <laughs> all their clothes. Throw them all in the water. All right, Nigel. Wow. <laughs> We're gonna wrap it up, man. I'm uh I'm gonna give you a quick last words of wisdom that you would want to share with uh any young men that may listen to the uh to the Breaking Berries podcast, and then we're gonna wrap it up and get out of here. 
Um, you know, I'll just go ahead and say, you know, again, the same thing that I told myself when I was, you know, teenager, you know, dream your biggest dream, seriously, because, you know, if you're dreaming your biggest dream already, there's nothing that you can do to go ahead and disappoint yourself because at the end of the day, you're still moving towards that biggest dream. You haven't accomplished it yet. Which means the most you can do if you might feel disappointment is just go ahead and start again because you haven't failed. And so I don't care what it is, you know, my biggest dream, honestly, when I was young was that I would go ahead and change the world for every kid who grew up in a life that I was growing up with. That was my biggest dream. And that still is my biggest dream. Why I have Dreamers Court, why I have a nonprofit right now. So that's what I would go ahead and leave you with. Also, if you are interested in coding, um, new this year um, in partnership with BCAT, uh, Buffalo Center for Arts and Technology on Main Street, they will be hosting the very first Dreamers Club after school program for grades 9 through 12, where you will learn how to build your own mobile app. You will go ahead and learn how to put it on the app store for people to download. And you'll also go ahead and become a certified Google Android developer at the end of the school year. And so if you uh, do want information about that, um, you can go ahead and go to uh, dreamerscorp.org to go ahead and find more information about that or also find Dreamers Corp on Facebook um, or Instagram and also Twitter to figure out how you can go ahead and be a part of that. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it. You you heard it here first. If you want to learn how to code, uh, if you want to be in the presence of a high energy, somebody that's going to check you, bring you back, and then probably check you again, and then probably check you again on the way down. Uh, my guy Nigel, he's doing it all over at Dreamers Corp. Uh, check him out, uh, Xavier. It's great to have you on the podcast today, no man. It's always good seeing you. Keep pushing forward um, regarding your political aspirations. I can't wait to see you in the White House one day. Um, and uh, with Dwayne, we're thinking of you. I know you're spending some time with your pops this week, so that's great, man. We always love to hear that. And uh, just real quick, thank you to the Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable, the Community Foundation for Greater of Greater Buffalo, and also a uh, big shout-out to Say Us Buffalo, uh, the Breaking Barriers Youth Leadership Council, and everyone that supports the efforts of the Boys and Men of Color Initiative. Uh, with that, we'll see you next time. I'm Daniel Robertson. Peace. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Breaking Barriers podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on all of the streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. For more information about Breaking Barriers, visit our website at www.breakingbarriersbuffalo.org.